0: Welcome to Carolina True Crime, a podcast presented by WMBF News in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where we take a deep dive into infamous crimes from the Carolinas, some with clear endings and others where mystery remains. Tally, news director at WMBF. And today I'm actually the one telling the story. I'm talking with our anchor, Audrey Bisque, this time um, about the story of the Biggums, a family that lived in Florence County from around the 1700s until the mid 1900s. It's not a nice story. It's not heartwarming. The Biggums are accused of murdering many people throughout three generations we're going to talk about. And often they got away with it.
1: So situate us, Ashley. Where is this whole story taking
0: place? So if you drew a line between Myrtle Beach and Florence, Pamplico would be on it. Not Pamlico, which is like a sound in North Carolina, but Pamplico, P-A-M-P-L-I-C-O. It's a small community about 50 miles northwest of Myrtle Beach and 20 miles southwest of Florence. Um, And it's right along the Petey River. So it was... um, when the story starts it's actually in Marion County and Marion County is huge at this point but actually throughout the story Florence County will actually be formed during it. Um, The Bigham family goes back here a really long way from my research they're from Northern Ireland probably came over they were Protestants and back then between like 1731 and 1768 South Carolina was actually offering free land to any Protestants who would come over here and settle um, and they were tr- probably trying to get away from Catholics so anyway they come here they settle they seem to have been in this area along the great Petey River um, since that time.
1: So you said you did a lot of research where did you get all this information from?
0: Yeah I've I've been researching this for several years Months. It's been many months at this point just because it's so detailed and there's so much to it. But really, I got it from mostly two different books. One book is called The Last of the Biggums. It's by this guy named J.A. Ziegler. He was actually the the editor of the Florence Morning News, which still exists, you know. Mm -hmm. And he covered the most famous trial of the third generation that happened in the 1920s that we'll get into much later. The other book that was very helpful is um, called A Piece of the Fox's Hide. It's by Catherine Bowling, who um, taught at FMU. She was an English professor, and she was from that area, you know, did lots of research on it. Um, She was from the Pamplico area, actually, and her daughter still worked at the Pamplico library. I went there to do some research, and she was there. there. You've been there, too. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a beautiful building, like, right in downtown. Can't say that. I mean, that's the first time I've ever been to Pamplico, but... um, you know, so those two things were very important. I also looked at newspaper reports from the early 1900s to the mid 60s um, and some some various internet research, Ancestry.com, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so, the family that, we're gonna really be focusing on three generations. And it's really confusing because all three have the same name. Leonard, Smiley, Bigham. Kind of a strange, like smiley. I don't know. I don't. I don't know where that came from. I wasn't able to find any origin for that. But we're going to be talking about Leonard Smiley Bigham, Senior, Junior, and the Third. Um, I'll call the the oldest one Leonard. That's what Leonard Senior went by. But Smiley was Smiley Junior, and then Smiley Junior is actually Leonard the Third. Leonard Smiley the Third. So it's going to be confusing, but I will explain it as we go through. The youngest generation, Smiley Jr.'s brothers, Edmund and Cleveland, are also gonna play major roles in the story. Um, And the crimes that they're accused of are insane. They go from um, one claiming his wife is a ghost in Merle's Inlet and having somebody shoot them to another man accused of killing his whole family. Wow! So, uh, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Leonard Senior. He was born in 1812 married a woman named Mary Brown, had children, two sons, um, George Washington Bigham, they called him Wash, (laughs) and Leonard Jr. And then they had a daughter named Mary Margaret. Um, He was a farmer, the 1860 census shows, he's pretty prosperous, you know, more so than his neighbors, farming corn, wheat, rye, that sort of thing. Really the usual thing in in that time period. Um, And to give you a sense of where this is taking place, the Bigham's had hundreds of acres on the Great PD, just a few miles east of Pamplico. Uh, I went there recently, and it's nothing there. Like, there are no homes there anymore. It's just wooded land, um, just trees. It's all along Old River Road. If you're taking 378 to mm-hmm. Lake City, it's, it's off to the right uh, just before you get to Lake City. So it's it's flat. There are a few bluffs on the river, but it's really wooded. Pines, hardwood trees grow there now. Um, At least, according to Google Maps, there's actually a, stri- a stream called Bigum Branch. So, you know, I, I was where they are, but there's just not much there to to Last. see. Any exactly. Um, I want to read a little bit about the land, which is actually how Catherine Bowling opened her book. Um, the land. Leonard Bigham chose stretches, then inches, along the red clay banks that border the muddy waters of the Great Petey River. Spanish moss compounds the tangle of live oaks and myrtle drooping riverward, and in spring the honeysuckle, wisteria, and fragrant jessamine fill the spaces between. Below wild plums and cherries grow alongside briar bushes, vines so thick that sometimes walking is impossible. It was and is part of that glorious South Carolina low country described in Leonard's time as paradise in the spring, a hell in summer and a hospital in fall because of the mosquitoes. Um, Among the hardwoods of those Carolina thickets grew the trees that Leonard doted on, the pines, because pines meant timber and timber meant money and Leonard was extremely fond of money and money could buy more pines. The lumbermen in the area preferred to cut timber elsewhere. Leonard Bigham drove a hard bargain. So this is a physical description of Leonard, which I just kind of want to give you a picture of him. His eyes were steel gray, cutting through the space that separated you from his bulky frame, reflecting little feeling except contempt for the ill-timed word, the hesitant gesture, the ineffectual man. His big head was covered with a wealth of sandy hair, coarse like the man. So does, wow. that, does that give you a picture of him? Mm-hmm. Just kind of a, you know, basic farmer, but with a bit of cruelty is, is kind of how she describes him.
1: And the the way she opened up the book, the scenery, it sounds beautiful, but then it's almost this introduction to, these, to where these horrific crimes and people live.
0: Right, exactly. And like how she starts with the wisteria, and then she's like, mm-hmm. and then they're vines, so thick you can't walk through. So that just kind of gives you a... Uh, um, a picture of where we are so we know that Leonard's course right that's what she says from his in, in, the, in the first description but it goes beyond that in 1847 so he's what like 35 he was charged with assault two different times he lost his temper with his neighbors um, but both times he was found not guilty and this is going to be a theme that we see throughout this they do things and they aren't either they aren't prosecuted or they're found not guilty and that continues until it doesn't which we'll get to way down the line um after these two assaults that he's found not guilty of something even more violent happens there's a rumor going around that leonard actually killed his 12 year old nephew to get his father's, you know, more of the estate from his, his older brother had, had died. And so his nephew would have gotten his brother's portion. So supposedly he poisoned him. Um, and remember we're still in the civil war time. So there are still slaves in this area. I don't know that the Bigums actually own slaves, but there's a a slave named Adam in the area who's been telling people been going around and telling people about Leonard and this nephew and that he poisoned him and that he had this mysterious illness and that Leonard didn't even tell anybody that the nephew was sick until he died um, and that it was all for the inheritance. So soon after that, Adam is found beaten and left for dead in the ice-covered branches of the swamp that winter, but he wasn't dead. Um, His owner found him, remember, you know, we're still civil, pre-civil war here. The owner was really upset and swore out warrants against Leonard and his brother Samuel. Six people testified against them, said they had seen him around there and everything, and he was found guilty. Guess what his sentence was?
1: What? A $10 fine. That's it. That's it. And that exists back then? Right.
0: Exactly. Fines. You could just be fined. Yep. So we continue to see how it's a pattern of violence and little repercussions for them that seems kind of inbred among them. Um, so I said again, Leonard had three children, George Washington Bigham called Wash. He was a bit of a disappointment to his father. Didn't have enough gumption. You know, he, Leonard liked a a solid man and, and Wash just didn't have the, the gumption that his father did. Um, Mary Margaret was the only daughter. She was very feminine. And then Leonard Smiley Bigham Jr., And Leonard loved because he was a lot like him. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's kind of weird, for this time period, Leonard is too old and his sons are too young to serve in the Civil War. So I think that that probably would have been an anomaly at this time. You know, a lot of people of very vast age differences served, but, but they didn't. Instead, they spend the time buying more land, you know, as neighbors shift, whatever, whatever has to do with the Civil War. Um, Leonard gets 2,000 more acres, and he builds a big house and a big farm. Where was that? This is in that same area, right along the Great PD. Um, So that's, you know, post-Civil War, a few years after the Civil War, 1872, we have the first murder charge. Leonard is charged with murder of Willie Jackson, another black man and with shooting Willie's wife, Quina. This is post-Civil War, post-emancipation, but not too far out of that time. You know, so a a white man shooting this this black couple, he is prosecuted for it. So let me read you a little about that. Quina seems to have really had a lot of courage with all this. Um, So this is the trial for Leonard and his son who was also charged but not actually indicted. The weeping Quina was telling the court how two weeks ago she had been working out in the cotton field with Willie about three o'clock in the afternoon. Leonard and Smiley had ridden up and called them from the field telling them to keep all the Negroes working until it was too dark to pick cotton. But Mr. Lynn, my Willie told him, the chill and all got the chicken pox and there ain't nobody to see them there to the house and continued the narrative of that fateful afternoon willie stood there and told them to pointing to leonard and smiley he most certainly did that and mr lind he started looking something fierce back at willie he was sitting pun top that sorrel mare he rides all over his place and he just looking a, a hole right through my willie then mr Lynde he tighten up his lips and he say you hear what i say willie and Willie say back to him yes sir Miss Lynn I hear what you say but we just can't stay out here less than somebody there to house with the chillin' here Queena sobbed and the court waited for her to continue that's when I knowed that's when I knowed he was reaching for his pistol I seen him sort of lean up in his saddle and reach in his belt for the pistol I tried to get in front of Willie so I didn't think he'd shoot me here Quina could not go on so she steps in front of her husband thinking that he won't shoot a, a woman. Instead, he shoots her, hits her in the leg, the bullet goes through her and kills her husband. So you hear that heartfelt description of what happened. When I think of how a jury mm-hmm. and a judge must have felt about that, I mean, this woman's crying. Her husband has just been killed. She's been shot. And you have, you know, Leonard and Smiley there sitting on the stand. Um, what are they going to do? Well, Leonard's wife... And his son and daughter, Smiley and Mary Margaret, testify, get on the stand, testify that he never left home. Mm. Who's the jury going to believe? You know, they they deliberated 10 minutes.
1: That's
0: it. Came back with a non-guilty verdict. Because the time period that we're in, the place where we're in, yeah. you know, a, a successful white family Why? versus the word of a, you know, young black woman.
1: They're going to believe the family. Yeah. and It seems like they all have were in this together they Mm -hmm. all had each other's back in a very sly way
0: absolutely um right and that's something that you you don't want to say that a whole family is cruel because certainly they're people right Mm -hmm. but the many many instances that so many people within this family are involved in is, is just really disturbing and i will say that there are their relatives um if there are any left in that area, they're distant. They, This book, The Last of the Bigums, really yeah. does show how this family dies out, basically. Okay. One brother had two daughters that... Um, that lived you know into the early 2000s or I don't know maybe a little bit earlier than that maybe 80s or 90s but they both moved away moved to Michigan and died that's elsewhere the last,
1: that's the most recent that you know of right like early 2000s
0: maybe. exactly okay. yeah and I couldn't really trace their families much beyond that but anyway back to the story um so like I said Queena, she has some courage and she isn't finished with him she files assault and battery charges against Leonard for shooting her in the thigh okay. which I love. Good. You know? This time he's found guilty and sentenced to three months in jail or a $50 fine. But according to Bowling, he was damned if he'd do either one. So he got his doctor to write a note about this hernia that he says disabled him from being able to go to prison. And then he circulated a petition around his neighbors that helped him get clemency. So once again, no repercussions for these acts. Um, A few years later, Leonard dies. And... Catherine Bowling says pretty clearly um, that Smiley is believed to have put cyanide in his father's milk. Killed his own. Killed his own father. father. That's, that's what she says. Apparently, he drank milk every night. Everybody knew that. And um, there's a, several stories in the book about how Leonard, the first Leonard, would kill hogs that way if he needed to get rid of them like Mm -hmm. like poisoning was known in the family
1: i was just going to say it seems like not only in the family but also back then yeah poisoning probably just was very common right to just kill people quickly
0: right exactly and there weren't the forensic stuff that we have now so you, you know a lot harder to be caught um so you know there doesn't there's no proof of that there are no charges or anything but Bolin indicates that that was really what was believed to have happened um so now you have these three children right Wash, Smiley, and Mary Margaret. Wash is weak he's the trustee of his father's estate but he he bungled a lot of things he just like he doesn't send things in on time and he gets um you know notices in the mail and he just seems always to be trying to catch up and, and keep up um Meanwhile, Smiley has been studying everything. He does the books, does the inventory, and he's been watching his crafty and conniving father for years, you know? So he's kind of learned from him. So he fudges the books, he denies that part of the inventory even exists. So when it comes time to divide the estate, the other three family members, his two siblings and his mother, they're, uh, they're really upset so much that they take him to court. They, they, they file, um, you know, a lawsuit over it. Guess who wins? Smiling. <laughs> Some, somehow he, he, he once again, triumphs. Again, he's been he's been watching his father all these years thwart he courts, knows. you know?
1: I said that earlier that they seem like they have each other's back, you know, and be, they're sly with one another, one another, but then they're also against each yeah, other. And right. And why would, I and couldn't imagine a, my own family taking me. I don't know to court right
0: exactly <laughs> you know this thing does happen that sort of thing does happen with inheritance sometimes i think when you put money in and the business, yeah exactly with, yeah. but um you're right that they have each other's backs until it's one-on-one and they're always going to choose themselves it seems like mm-hmm. we'll see that continue through the generations um mary margaret marries after this a guy named george sanderson bowling says he's the first kind man she's ever met (laughs) i know i feel feel bad for mary margaret um but the husband george actually moves into the Bigham household rather than her moving out there i guess because it was a big house you know back in this day so smiley doesn't like that he decides to build a huge house for himself and let the family home crumble he's not going to pay to for its upkeep or anything. He's going to have this mansion and this farm and if he's going to do that, he, um, he has to have somebody to run it, right? So, he asked a local man, a black man named Eli Culp, for him and his family to come work for him. But Culp hesitates probably because of the family's reputation, mm-hmm. you know? And eventually he says, um, oh, I can't. I, I owe money to this other guy, George Steele. Um, I got to work to pay him off so I can't come work for you. Somehow, Smiley found, finds out that this isn't actually true, that that Eli cult never borrowed money or owed money to Steele because Steele's like, yeah, he's one of the best guys I know. He's never borrowed money from me. Um, and, you know, Smiley realizes Eli just doesn't want to work for him. Does he get mad? What do you think? Exactly. So let me read you this story from this was in the Marion... Star, the newspaper, um, in that area back then. And, um, it's from August 26, 1880. On Sunday last on Mr. George Steele's plantation near Brattonsville in the county, a colored man named Culp and his three children were poisoned. One rumor is that the family had been poisoned with arsenic, which had been put into a cup of sugar out of which a cake had afterwards been made by one of the children. We have made efforts to gain the particulars, but have failed. It may be depended upon, however, that the four members of the family are dead, and it is certain that poison of some kind was the death.
1: Poison again, and what? And, and the, the man and
0: his three kids.
1: Yeah, the whole family. The
0: whole family because he wouldn't work for him. And you know what? Nobody's ever charged for those four murders. So if we're keeping score it's already, how many people have died? Um, at the hands of these two men. We've got Leonard's nephew, maybe, right? Uh, Willie Jackson, who was Queen's husband. Uh, Leonard himself, if Smiley indeed killed him, that's three. Now the four cults, Eli and his children, are up to seven. Wow. Seven deaths, you know, up to 1880. So let's keep going. Um, Smiley has his money. He has his big house. What do you think he wants next? More. More. (laughs) And to get more, he probably needs a family, so he wants a wife. Okay. But uh, he can't really get a local one because his reputation reputation. precedes him, you know? So uh, he imports one. 16-year-old girl from Greenville County. Dora Smith is her name. Supposedly, he paid her father a pretty good sum of money. To get her there? Yeah, basically, you know, back in those days, you would... Actually, normally, it was the other way around. The, The woman had a... You know, the father would pay the the new husband, but this is the other way around. Smiley supposedly pays her father a lot to get her there. Um he's twenty four, she's sixteen. It's not that huge of an age difference, mm-hmm. but it was a pretty big culture shock for her. She is a lady of the city. Um, she he puts on a really good show for her. He wants everything when she comes, he's informed his servants that everything has to be spit spot perfect when she comes Annie invites all the neighbors to meet her and everything and um, there's a description of you know the floor shining and her being really impressed and having this lovely time at her first reception there and then all the neighbors leave and she realizes where she's living and um, turns out she might have a bit of a cruel streak too there's another story told about one of their servants who um, she says doesn't do his work likes to nap and she makes him lie down on the hearth of the fire grate. And it burns his oh legs. He's God. a young boy. And it burns his legs. And, um, you know, so in the, in the stories, it, it's indicated that she has a bit of a cruel side as well. Um, so by this time, Smiley's bored. He's got pretty much everything he wants. He needs a new challenge. He's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of land. He's got a wife. Has some kids coming. Um, he needs a new challenge. So... He runs for office.
1: Okay. Yeah, I know,
0: right? Like, wait, they're they're, they're politicians yeah. too. Yeah. The state house of representatives from Marion County, and he wins.
1: Wow. Yeah. After his poor reputation, I feel like after in the that, area.
0: right? I think he people were intimidated by him mm-hmm. was one part of it. Um, it. Meanwhile, while he's doing that, his older brother isn't doing so well. Wash he's sort of sickly. At one point, he sells some of his land to another family, which really enrages Smiley because it's family land. He should have been given first dibs at it. You know, it should stay in the Bigum family. Um, and said so this new family that wash sold the money to moves onto the land. First thing they know, their, their brand new barn goes up in flames. Huh? That's weird. Then soon after that, uh, they're cutting down trees to sell for timber and suddenly another fire destroyed part of what they are planning to sell. So, you know, again, this is a Catherine Bowling story. Uh-huh. Um, that indicates that it came from Smiley, that, that he has a hand in burning these things down. And she also says that Smiley pays the Biggum family cook a little extra for her trouble, and soon Wash is dead. So, what? yeah, so implying that Wash was poisoned, too. Um, another death for nobody's yeah. held responsible. So we're up to eight now. Uh, but Smiley's a congressman, right? He's enjoying <laughs> the spotlight. Um, yes. And before the term's even over, he's already got bigger plans. He's going to run for Senate. You know, he's, the House of Representatives isn't enough. He's going to be a state senator. Um, and just like now, politicians get a lot of press. There's a lot of back and forth in the newspapers with Smiley. If you haven't already gotten the impression, he's also boastful, right? He likes to extol mm-hmm. how, you know, look at my house, look at my wife, all that. So he kind of does a lot of back and forth with both the editors of the paper and other politicians. Um And he starts to insinuate prejudice of local journalists. Sound familiar? Um, (laughs) You know, if if a coverage of a politician isn't going well, sometimes they blame the people giving the coverage instead. Um,
1: And he's still mid-20s at this point?
0: I think he's probably in his 30s by now. Early 30s. Um, So this is what Bowling says about this time in his life. Thanks to Mr. Bigham and his pet peeves, coupled with his willing verbosity, Marion politics had suffered more journalistic exposure than most of the citizens could remember from years past. Having almost completed his first term of office, Honorable L.S. Bigham stood the end product of almost 100 years of Biggums in South Carolina, prosperous landowners, and prominent citizens of the area with love of the land built in. He possessed a high native intelligence, albeit without benefit of advanced formal education or too many scruples. He bore the imprint of a mother who had no heart for reality and a father whose entire personality had been directed by greed and self-advancement. Smiley had murdered, cheated, stolen, and schemed in private, but in public, he had been sufficiently convincing to win the confidence of the voters of Marion County, like you were Mm -hmm. asking about he had begun to attack with insinuations the prejudice of local journalists the morals of the people of georgetown and the honesty of his fellow representatives in the prime of his life smiley biggum was already beginning to evidence symptoms of a severe mental disorder which would eventually hurl him down from the heights of his delusions of grandeur into the dankest hell of depression isn't that interesting um And she continues real quick. There were to be more grand delusions before the plunge, however, and more important for the future, amid the bustle of Smiley's paranoid career, the first two of his five children had been born. They were growing like weeds, cultivated in an atmosphere which three previous generations of biggums had made possible, but which only the combined talents of Dora and Smiley biggum could have perfected. So, that's a little ominous. Um, The
1: spiral of that. Yes.
0: Exactly. Fascinating,
1: mm-hmm. in a way, of how that, you know, the way that she described it. That was an article that was, that was published?
0: Well, sh- that was bowling a writing, okay. uh, just about it, um, using some of the newspaper articles of the time. And I don't know how she knows about the depression or yeah. the, the mental disorder, whether... She, she, she doesn't cite a source for a lot of this, um, so, you know, you have to take that with it when, when we look at this work, but she is thought to be the um, expert on this family. Mm-hmm. So you kind of see this craziness manifest itself in different ways. The Senate race goes on, he starts to make big claims. He says like the former governor stole property from the governor's mansion. Um, he starts insulting the integrity of the state Supreme Court amongst other things. Um, The Spartanburg Herald wrote this paragraph about Smiley during this race. The press should treat the silly vaporings of this lunatic with absolute silence. As long as he can gain cheap notoriety by the press, voluntarily publishing his silly utterances, he will continue to hatch up some nonsense to keep himself before the people. He raised a storm. He was denounced on all hands as a slanderer, a liar, and a shallow-brained fool. So...
1: Okay, so they didn't hold back.
0: (laughs) They didn't hold back, exactly. Pretty harsh criticism there for a man who's already serving in the House of Representatives and is now trying to go further in the state. Can you imagine
1: that right now? I
0: mean... I'm harsh
1: uh, right now, but well,
0: you know, and, and a person who makes preposterous claims and to say in front of the states in front of the media, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting. I, you know, sometimes politicians don't change. Um, so all this happens, and he's defeated, but he's not done yet. Of course, um, this is 1888, so it's the same year he's defeated for that Senate seat. Mm-hmm. The state assembly creates a new county. Florence County County. it's (laughs) created um do you know what's named after it's named after the daughter of a man who owned railroads in the area
1: well that makes sense actually yeah yeah and if you go in some areas in Florence not just the library but there's books and books and photos of the railroads and the workers
0: who worked. Yeah, I think they were really key to, to yes. making Florence what it is, mm-hmm. um, which is having such a resurgence now. We could, could do a whole other podcast <laughs> on Florence. But um, it, this this new county they created included the portion of Marion County where the Bighams live. So all of a sudden, they're in this new county. And in 1892 years later, he runs to be senator of that new county, county. And mm-hmm. he wins. So forever after that, he likes to be called Senator Bigum or just Senator. Okay. You, you can see how that might appeal to his um, estimation of himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Of course, the first state senator of a brand new county.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, a crowning achievement that this family who has done so much else hadn't ventured into. Um, but pretty soon, state Senate's not enough. Where do you think he wants to go? DC all the way okay. to the top right he won- <laughs> so he runs in a congressional race for the district the district 6 includes parts of Marion and Florence and some other areas okay. um, but he doesn't win and he's pretty bitter and dis- disappointed at this point pretty defeated uh, bowling writes, he had passed his zenith now would come the descent so that time sort of marks the when things began to fall apart for him um, this is another sad and awful and, and and violent instance that happened pretty soon after this that Bowling says came out of this anger and depression. Um, once again, it was a black tenant farmer on his land. This, his name was Lassus, L-A-S-S-U-S. He lived in an old shack on the land. He was known to be um, very loyal to the family, he lived there for a long time. But he questioned... Um, the share that he was getting of some cotton bales that they were selling. So, you know, how tenant farming worked. Basically, somebody owned the land, but I might rent part of it to you, you farm it, and then we split the profits. Mm -hmm. So Lassus was questioning him, just saying, hey, I don't think I got my split for that that other bale there that, you know, I I helped raise. And just the questioning of him enrages Smiley Mm -hmm. so much that he reaches for his gun. Well, Lassus knows about these people, right? He knows what he's all about, so he runs away um, back toward his house. Smiley's also smart, though. We've seen him outsmart the justice system multiple times. He knows he can't get away with just shooting a man in the back without facing charges. So he waits until Lassus runs into his house, presumably turns to quickly shut the door behind him, and then Smiley fires, shoots him through the door, um, and into Lassus's chest, which you know immediately kills him. Then, according to bowling, Smiley goes and gets Lassus's gun and poses it beside his body. Of course. And um, he says that Lassus was drunk and came after him. And a judge says it's justifiable homicide. So, pretty sure this is number nine.
1: Yeah, and I was going to say during that political Uh rant that there was no, at least reported, cruelty or you know what—that's true.
0: It's almost like having that direction or function, you know took off some of the I know
1: the violence. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. And then until until that's over so, and mm-hmm. it starts again. Um Okay. So at this point Smiley becomes delusional, like actually really crazy. For several months he won't go in his own room through a door. He'll only go in through the window. Weird, really weird. Two different times neighbors have to save him from a mill pond cuz he's trying to drown himself. Oh, so, okay. hmm. whether it's schizophrenia, whether it's just truly straight depression, you know it's 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 hard to know, but um, he he he's really going back. Um, so then his mother, remember Mary, Leonard's wife. She dies, and um, guess what? he's he, he's brought back to life by the fight to claim more property of the inheritance. <laughs> he fights his sister, Mary Margaret, for it. Um, and he actually, like when I say fights his sister, like, yeah, like tries to fight to get the inheritance, but he actually like goes to her house and slaps her. And he's charged with assault Jeez. for that. she takes she takes out charges against him. Dead. He has to guess what? pay a fine. twenty five dollars for slapping a woman.
1: Oh my
0: God. yeah. So, um you know, he still wins in court. He still wins the inheritance part in court. And this part is really sad. Again, I told you I felt sorry for Mary Margaret. She was married to that man. Um, George Sanderson never had children. Now she's lost most of her inheritance. She gets a job at a cotton mill, which we're just coming about in that era, you know, turn of the century. Her husband dies. She loses her job. And she's left begging on the streets of Marion. What? Just such a descent from this... You know, and, and this is again back to what you were saying about they seem to have each other's back yeah. until they don't. Mm-hmm. So it's just so sad.
1: How do you know how long I, she was? Do I know? don't. Maybe her story just ended there.
0: Her story okay. just ended there, um, as far as I know, and I think she dies. You know, destitute, mm-hmm. begging on the streets of Marion. Oh, it's mm-hmm. just so sad. Um, meanwhile, Smiley and Dora are raising their five kids. Their, their kids are born between 1877 and 1885. So, let me tell you about them. Um, all of them come to have some import on the rest of the story. Marjorie Ann is the oldest. She goes by Margie, um, and then Leonard Smiley Bigum the third, who's right. also called Smiley. Um. Um, We'll call him Smiley Jr. for now. Letha is next. Then um, Edmund Dalrymple, and apparently Edmund hated that middle name, which, you know, I would too. Edmund Dalrymple, Biggum. And then lastly, I love this name, Grover Cleveland Biggum. He's the baby of the family, and he'll figure into another dark chapter of the family history that we'll get into. But um, first, let's talk about young Smiley. This is the third Leonard Smiley, Bigum. And, um, this is how Catherine Bowling describes him. Smiley's firstborn, Leonard Smiley, and you know what? By firstborn, she means firstborn son, which is ironic. Mm-hmm. Um, Leonard Smiley's firstborn, Leonard Smiley, Bigham III, was his mother's favorite. In disposition and appearance, this child, also to be called Smiley, was most like his uncle Wash. He was slow and deliberate, apparently lacking in drive, but got what he wanted easily from his mother. He was neither as quick nor as bright as his two younger brothers. And as he grew, a definite hatred of his father grew with him. Nor was he a good child. The village school resounded with Smiley's pranks, cruelly planned to hurt and humiliate his schoolmates. He was reputed to keep a pin in the toe of his shoe at all times to torment other students. So he could kick them, I guess, and it would stick in him. Um, Or he would deliberately trip them as they went into front of the the schoolroom. He was the brother who cold-bloodedly cut the tail from a pony belonging to a boy who had once mocked him at recess. With his first rifle, he was reported to have killed his sister's pet mockingbird with his first shotgun, he pelted the old family washerwoman with a load of birdshot. So,
1: hmm. Okay, there's some evil inside. Right? As Just some boy.
0: There's something about when children do evil things yeah. that's like very disturbing. Very. You think of everybody being you know, innocent and when they're young, when they're young yeah. but I guess when you come up in this situation with his family, mm-hmm. you you don't turn out that way Mm -hmm. um but I think it's also interesting that he and his father even though they're both sort of conniving and and possibly have a cruel streak don't like each other
1: yep don't get along yeah Mm
0: -hmm. he's mama's boy right um so it's interesting and then Edmund Bigham he's the second son the fourth child um Bowling describes him as likewise more than simply naughty which, you know, is not a ringing endorsement. Um, he was almost the exact reincarnation of his grandfather, Leonard. So the first one, a surly, vengeful lad who would go to any lengths to re- to repay an injury. He had a temper which, if unleashed, could cause havoc. The Dalrymple did not help his feelings either. Wow. <laughs> um, so just, you know, there, there's indications of when he was little, just... You know how boys sometimes will go out and like smash mailboxes with with baseball bats. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> Apparently, back then he would like ride by neighbors' um, farms and like hit horses, like get close enough to like hit them while he's riding by in his okay, buggy. So just just and you know a, a bit of evil seems yeah. tinged um, in him. Cleveland, the baby, is described as. Um, perhaps the prettiest child
1: so is this the only daughter
0: no this is Cleveland the the third son they're two girls Marjorie who's the oldest and then Letha we don't hear much about Letha I think she dies young but the three boys are Smiley Jr. who's mama's boy Edmund who's this kind of cruel one Mm -hmm. and the third one is is Cleveland remember he was Grover Cleveland and they call him Cleveland um Bowling writes. In appearance, Cleveland Biggum was perhaps the prettiest child, and he was probably the brightest as well. It was Cleveland who Old Smiley dearly believed would someday achieve his own frustrated dream—that of seeking a career in the law. Which is super interesting because he spent most of his life thwarting the law and courtrooms and everything. But. Um, I'll go on. (laughs) Cleveland was not to be a lawyer. Despite his superior intellect, his father's contempt for the law had been contagious, and the son had no inclination to choose a profession for which he had so little respect. He was instead to become a doctor, receiving his professional training at the College of Charleston. But he was to run afoul of the law in such a way that his medical background would be of little use to him. As a child, Cleveland was more of a recluse than the other two boys, fascinated more by the intellectual side of deceit than by overt acts of violence. He was clever and prudent, the darling of his older sister Marjorie. He was a practical child as he was to become a practical adult, but he was not above doing anything necessary to punish or gain revenge for a slight done to the family which sounds like a lot of them. Here's one last thing. Cleveland was loyal to his family so long as they did not interfere with his personal plans. There you go, again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, he was the least unpleasant of the three boys, but there was no compassion or great sensitivity in his doctor's hands. So, you, you know, you think of doctors wanting to help people. Being very gentle. Being gentle, like, yeah. And, and I, I do think it's an interesting dynamic they set up here of... Um, These two kind of being, like, just, wow, you know, pins in their shoes and hitting horses. And then Mm -hmm. you you think of, like, Cleveland in the corner, like, conspiring to do stuff, you know. Um, All all in all, disturbing. Um, The next murder, number 10, if we're still counting, is of Smiley Sr. himself. She says in 1906 that Dora, his wife, poisoned Smiley with potassium cyanide. Again, never prove, no not proven or charged with anything, but um, – Interesting, yeah.
1: though, that it's, that it's his own wife. Yes. So out of all the people out there, you know, poor reputation or – I don't know. Not necessarily – I wouldn't uh, suspect his children, but a woman. Yeah. Uh, the mother of his children and, you know, right. the wife of this evil man, she's like, no right. more.
0: So – But you think about all she's seen in her life – all she's seen him do you know she knows he's done all those things that he was never found guilty of yeah. uh you think of her coming there and she was just 16 being really impressionable in this big house in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and you know there was that story i told you about the servant that she made lie on the hearth and yeah. it whether it was an influence or whether it was um something innate i think there you certainly see a streak of mm-hmm. cruelty in her in as her. well
1: do you know how old he was
0: um he he died in 1906. I think he was in his early to mid 60s. Okay. Um, so two years later, 1908, four of the children are married and living on their own. The only one who's not is Smiley Junior, the oldest son. Um, he's in his late 20s. He's still living at home with Dora. Remember, he was mama's a mama's mm-hmm. boy. Um, and this year is one when mo- one of the most disturbing acts of violence that the family is suspected of happens it's really disturbing i just want to you know warn listeners about that um it all starts with a mule so smiley remember now we're talking about smiley jr who's Mm -hmm. actually leonard smiley biggum the third they the youngest generation that we're going to be talking about so he's at the biggum stock lot um where a lot of the animals used for farming are kept when they're not working in the field kind of like a stable and um two young black men bring in a mule from the field and he seems to have an injury with his eye um something's happened You, you can just tell some you know something's happened and smiley becomes irate he demands to know who did it and you know one guy blames the other points to this other guy who is um a kid, I think he's only 15, barely 16, so just turned 16. Small, quiet guy named Arthur Davis. He knows all about the Bigums, right? So he runs away. Um, Smiley pulls back a hand to smack him for this for hurting this mule, and he runs away. He runs home. Well, everybody knows what happens when you avoid some sort of punishment from these people. They yeah, get they even more angry. Exactly. Um, so smiley sends word to his mama that he wants to have arthur at his disposal for three years because of what he's done to the mule and also something about he tells her something about um being able to beat him at will like i mean it's it's almost like indentured servitude you know it's Mm -hmm. it's awful um and of course no mother's gonna send her son to that so mrs davis says that the law will decide the punishment her son didn't do anything and he's going to go work for somebody else basically he's getting away from you crazy big on people but um of course that's not the end of it mm-hmm. smiley and a few of his friends go to the davis house a few days later um davis little arthur not little 16 year old arthur hears them coming mm-hmm. and he hides under his mom's bed but the men, they have masks on, um, but they find him. They drag him out. They drag, they, they drag him alongside, one, like they're on horses, and they just kind of drag him alongside one of the men on horseback. Um, but somehow, that's not enough for them. And I'm gonna read how Bowling describes this next part. Ugh um, uh, not satisfied with the beating they had given the boy as they pulled him through the undergrowth, they proceeded to lash him severely with large briars and rope-like vines. Although Arthur fainted, they were still not through with him. As a final gesture, one struck a match while another produced a long ten-penny nail and a hammer. Mm-hmm. The nail they then drove upward into the boy's brain through the channel of his left ear. Isn't that horrible? Wow. Arthur's mother searched most of the night before finding the mutilated body of her dead son deep in the woods. The sheriff was notified and arrived on the scene the next morning. The coroner was called and an inquest was held on the spot. The cause of death was not immediately determined. Can you understand why? You can't see in your ear, right? It's so hidden. So, I just think it's a cruel and smart almost know. you
1: know They gave me goosebumps it, I mean that's me not too. something
0: you you hear right exactly um goes on had Sheriff Birch not noticed a small clot of blood near the lobe of the boy's ear looked closer and seen the head of the nail the cunning scheme might have gone undetected mm. so um
1: does anyone get caught
0: sort of um Mrs. Davis she so w- when when they say they got an inquest together they basically uh, bring people together to decide whether a crime has been committed or not okay. like on the spot of the murder um and they call it the coroner's jury mm-hmm. so Mrs. Davis told the coroner's jury that the three men who came to her home were masked that she believed that there had been a fourth one outside. She said she recognized the voice of Smiley mm-hmm. and had heard one of the other men shout, Fuller, stick your handkerchief in author's mouth. He's making too damn much fuss. Mm-hmm. Then she testified another man had answered, all right, Dan. Um, so prior, there, there was also a rainstorm in the midst of all this. So mm-hmm. like in between the time of the murder happening and him being found in the corner coming out, there's been a storm that's washed away a lot of footprints Uh, you know so they couldn't really trace them very clearly um but there was before the storm came the sheriff had had followed some of the tracks and they led directly to the house where edmund and his wife and their two-year-old daughter lived remember edmund is the the middle brother smiley's younger brother um supposedly the sheriff comes in and says you know what do you know about the murder and he goes what are you talking about come on in have some dinner with us um i've I've been here all day my he says i can prove by my wife that i was at home all night and mrs bigum corroborated her husband's statement Uh which has happened before right that their family comes together and Mm -hmm. and lies for them um so the coroner's jury decides that he it was murder and that Three people, um, were complicit in it, were, his, his death came by the hands of three persons and they said that, um, that they should talk to Mrs. Davis more closely and arrest the three, three men who they had reason to suspect, who was Smiley Bigum and two of his friends, Andy Fuller and Dan Hines. So the sheriff arrests all three men, um, They had a bond hearing, waived a preliminary hearing. Um, They arrested this other guy, Singletary, but they didn't have enough to prove that he was there, so they let him off. But basically, Smiley is now facing a murder charge, right? This is the first time
1: that... I was going to say, finally.
0: Yeah, exactly, right? Um, So, this is when they do what we've seen them do before. The family all comes together. Uh And you can just see them... I mean, I picture them as like witches around a cauldron, you yeah. know. So How are we get away exactly, from this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like a yeah. Um, so what they do is they they have a family conference and they choose different things for different people. They decide that Edmund's job is going to be to um, make sure that some of the state witnesses are not available to testify. Oh my whatever gosh. that means. Dora, the mom, says um, she's going to swear that Smiley never left the house all evening um, and the rest of the family says they're going to do the same. But there's one holdout on this and if you can um, guess who that might be, it's not somebody blood related to the family, right? So, Younger brother Cleveland, he says, yep, I'm in. I'm going to say that we were all right here together and you never left this house. Mm -hmm. But his wife, he's married to this woman named Ruth crisp Bigum, mm-hmm. and she's supposedly very beautiful she's from a wealthy family I think in Greenville County we'll get more to her in the next episode but um she says basically like I'm not lying I'm not putting myself on the stand and line for uh-huh. your brother well that's not the Bigum way no. right so um They have to get mad, right? They have to get mad, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So Cleveland says, you know what, I'm gonna take her away so that we won't even be here to testify. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, he comes back in, they have a little quiet conference and says, don't you worry about her. Mm -hmm. The truth will never come out from her lips. Mm
1: -hmm. And he'll make sure of it.
0: (laughs) And that's what happened. The family testified that he had never left the house and he was found not guilty. Wow. Of this murder, where he drove a nail into a young teenager's brain, mm. um,
1: the deceit and the lie is—I mean, it's
0: just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's compounded one on top of the other. I mean, this is eleven murders that we're talking about, and you know, about a hundred years in a county like you—you you know, Florence yes. County. I mean, think about—you know—so
1: much smaller back then. Than Absolutely, the to right now, so I mean, many
0: fewer people. Yeah. yeah, that everybody must have known all of yeah. this. Um, so I'm going to leave you with that little tease there, because when we get to the next part about Ruth and Cleveland, what happens with them, and then the last crime we're going to talk about is a mass murder. Five people are killed at the same time, and oh um, one of the family members is charged. Okay. And so that's a whole other very long story, but um, you know I think that we've we've kind of shown how the family was built up into this, that that so much happened and they were a different breed. Thank you for listening to Carolina True Crime, a podcast presented by WMBF News. To learn more about the story you heard here and other mysteries and crimes from across the Carolinas, go to our website, WMBFnews.com.